Welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the hot and super fun topic of militias within the context of globalization. So I think to start, Rodrigo, I think it would be helpful for both us and the audience to know what exactly is the definition of a militia. So I guess I'll start with what I think the definition of a militia is based on what I found off of the age-old internet. (laughs) Go ahead, man. So according to the internet, militias are, according to Captain Robert L. Snow in 1999, Militias are groups of individuals who have formed in paramilitary organizations that stockpile and carry assault-type weapons, wear military uniforms, practice military maneuvers, and yet are not part of the military. Yeah, so I think we can, like, sum this up by does, saying that... does that sound to you? Yeah, it sounds accurate, but, I mean, I think I would say that... Maybe we could define militias um, by using the, the monopoly of violence. Because the state, or the governments, if you will, have the monopoly of violence. I mean, you cannot hire a third-party company to provide public, uh, public security in, in the cities. You depend on the police force. You depend on the military. Um, hire a private military company. Yeah, but not for domestic operations, at least in most of the constitutions uh, worldwide. Um, so the thing is, if there is a paramilitary group, um, like using violence as a commodity, uh, apart from the state law, so, I mean, that's considered a militia, it's a group providing security services or using violence, uh, in counterpart of the state. In counterpart. Yeah. Like as a part of the state, so... No, not as a part of the state. Then maybe that's my bad English. Um, not, uh, like instead of the state, as a, com- as a competitor. They are Because this was, this was something that I was thinking about when trying to define militias. Is how do you define or identify the connection between the militia and the state? So, yeah how that's a very deep question by the way uh and i think we could now i mean both you and me can 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 come up with two completely different answers to this question because each case is a case you know and i i bet uh the case in the united states it's totally different than the one here in brazil um do you want to start by giving giving your side of the story my side of the story, well, I just wanted to maybe just expand upon this question first because I was confused a bit. Maybe you can help clarify, but that question was vague to me in terms of how it was defined. I don't really still quite understand what the connection has to be between the militia and the state. What kind of relationship does it have to be for a, to be? defined as a militia organization sometimes they are in support of state interests sometimes they are not Mm -hmm. sometimes the state will not view a militia 
because in the definitions I was seeing, there was always this kind of connection that was drawn between the militia and the state and how their operations are kind of linked. Well, um, well, then, then maybe I can start by giving my example, my side of the story. Uh, well, the militia groups here in my country, here in Brazil, uh, they're all represented by the police force. So the police force here, the men uh, inside the corporation, not all of them, of course, but um, a group within uh, the force uh, have been corrupted due to a lot of circumstances that we can go through here. Uh, and they have started to do like a, uh, like a parallel job thing uh, in, in, in which the time they were off their official job, they were providing uh, their services for the communities uh, as a paramilitary group. There's no other word for that. So they were charging fees from the community in order to provide security. Um, after a couple of, of, of years, after some time during these operations uh, and for specific reasons uh, in locations, this policeman started to gain some influence uh, in politics, especially in local politics, uh, in, in, in the cities, uh, in the districts. So throughout the years, this relationship, this connection became really strong. Um, therefore, I mean, these policemen were influencing the policies and how uh, the law enforcers were viewing their actions in the city and how they were dividing the police attention uh, between the citizens and, and the operations where this, this militia groups already have under control. All right. So would you say then in Brazil that the militias kind of formed as a result of the state failing to serve the interest of its citizens. Therefore, there was an opportunity for other organizations to take that up, take up that kind of role. Uh, yes and no, there's more into that. Uh, there's more into that. Because when we talk about militias in Brazil, we're talking about Rio de Janeiro. Okay, we're not talking yeah. about the rest of the country. The rest of the country is a completely different story. We have uh, organized criminal groups, the factions, but they're not militias. The militia phenomena is specific to Rio de Janeiro. Okay, uh, actually, this brings me to an important question that I have. Yeah, sure. Is for a militia to be called a militia, does the militia itself have to refer to itself as a militia, or is it from from whose perspective does it have to be considered a militia to be a militia? From everyone else that is not a part of the militia, according to our definition that we have discussed. Okay. Okay? Because if you are a militian, let's call them like that, I mean, you're technically part of an enterprise. I mean, you're participating in a corporation, providing services. Um, that's, that's, that's very hermeneutical, I can say, double hermeneutical. There are two points of views uh, for the same thing going on. Uh, but back to you. Um, the thing is, the, sit, the city of Rio de Janeiro started to be built, the modern face of, of Rio de Janeiro started to be built after the 50s. 
uh, and during this time, 50s, 60s, 60s, uh, the south zone of the city, which today uh, is the rich, is the rich zone of the city, is where the wealthy people live. Uh, the, the most expensive um, square foot of Brazil is in this neighborhood, which is called Barra da Tijuca in Rio. Uh, this neighborhood was surrounded by a huge forest and by the hills that we have in Rio that is known worldwide. Uh, and once this neighborhood started to be built, I mean, the, the, the entrance of these people were controlled by those who settled there before. And those settlers, those previous settlers, uh, were settled in a place in a, in a very small neighborhood called Rio das Pedras, which is very close to Barra da Tijuca. So while this construction of this new neighborhood was going on, this group in Rio das Pedras was selecting those who would be able to live in this new fancy neighborhood. So they were kind of the doorman to this new uh, great and fancy place that was being built back in the 50s, 60s. Um, there's another pole of corruption, of sorry, of militia in, in Rio. In the other pole of this corruption, uh, of, 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 of the militia points, uh, there was not a case of um, access, but the case of, 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 as you said, the state uh, lacking, uh, lacking of services, lacking of providing services to this community. So the thing started in public transportation. Um, I think, I believe it was in Santa Cruz, in the neighborhood of Santa Cruz. So these people, uh, the people in the community needed public transportation, needed buses and vans, because uh, most of the, of the transport was, was being made by vans. And this, we were talking about the 90s now, okay? Uh, and, and Good times. Yeah, good times. So in the 90s, these people started uh, to do, um, how, can I, how, how can I say that in English? It would be like um, a non-official public, uh, public transport system. So they were- Like Uber. Like Uber, exactly, but for public transport, which is a monopoly, I mean, it's, monopoly in the state here uh, so they could not so they were all uh, illegal but they saw the opportunity and the policemen also saw the opportunity of providing services to these people for uh, having their vans um, safe because this was a very um, well violent market back in the 90s throughout throughout the country this was not a local phenomenon of Rio, but this happened throughout brazil and this policeman mm -hmm. started to provide this security services for this operation of uh, public transportation in the communities. Okay. It, it is sort of a clientelist uh, relation between the communities, the people who pay the fee, the militia fee, and the militians who provide the services, charges for these fees, but at the same time, exerts uh, stateless powered uh, towards these communities because they control violence. They own the monopoly of violence in these places. So they, most of the times, I mean, they have more power than the state itself in this neighborhood. How, uh, maybe you could expand upon the concept of monopoly of violence. Okay. Because I would argue that it's not, it's more of a duopoly in this situation. Because 
traditionally the state holds the monopoly on violence. That that that's it. Traditionally, the state owns the monopoly of violence. Um, and, and and if you think about law enforcement, if you think about constitution, uh, of course you can hire privatized military groups, uh, but for at least uh, as far as I know, uh, most of these operations are, are are war operations or overseas operations, always international, never domestic. I mean, for domestic operations, you usually have your own police force owned by the state. Uh, and if you yeah, use... but this is outside of the state. But what do you mean outside of the state? The way I the, now that we're discussing it more, the way the more and more I'm, the way I'm seeing it in terms of the definition of militia and trying to make it kind of easy to understand is that if you look at it through the lens of if the state holds the monopoly on violence that would be considered a market distortion and the militia in a way is kind of like a black market to find those kinds of services that are not available in the state yes it's a clientelist relationship it's kind of how I would describe it I think it's the easiest way to for me to understand it it's like yeah that's how it started that's the origins of, of militia here and of course um there is uh drugs and war as well which is kind of how everything exploded uh when the Amer when america when us was living your uh drugs and war we were also dealing with the same problem uh, in the 80s and uh, this was specific to rio de janeiro Uh, so in order to provide safety for the same communities, for the poor communities, the favelas in Rio, this policeman also started to charge their security fee for them, for these communities, because they were not only providing safety, they were providing safety, public transportation, as I mentioned, uh, gas services, like natural gas services, yeah. uh, electricity. Yeah. So, I mean, they were the state. So I get... So I guess I'm kind of more generalizing the definition of militias from the res being restricted to just state functions as it regards violence, but it can also occur <laughs> or form. Edit that cough out. We have no cough buttons here. <laughs> um, what was, I'll just, you're going to edit this, so I'm just going to back it up. Sure, sure. I was just going to say that um, in expanding the definition of militias and making it a bit more general, you could think of the militia as an organization that is outside of the state jurisdiction that takes up functions of the state. That sounds about right. Uh, like a black market organization yep. to get all of your state services. Yep that you can't get from the state because yeah, it's not I mean, it, doing it, it well enough. It, 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 I, I mean, that's a perfect definition. I think they expropriate commodities, if you will, owned by the state to the population. That's basically yeah. that. I mean, it, it could not be strictly, uh, strictly related to violence, but I mean, I just mentioned public transportation, electricity, natural gas. So there you go. I agree. Yeah. I agree on that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I came to this one researching. There's a famous Spanish sociologist, Manuel Castells, 
We did quite a bit of research on like globalization and militia movements. And this was a big kind of a theory of his was this is kind of a reason why in America, especially recently, we're seeing more of a rise in militia movements. And he makes the argument that this is a result of forces of globalization and the fact that globalization hasn't led to quite the equal redistribution of wealth from gains of international trade. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh... so in in the case in this case the, the the state inefficiency is redistribution of wealth as a result of international trade because current my theory anyway and expanding upon his theory is that the United States primarily has pr- for for redistributing wealth traditionally the United States has favored policy positions that kind of are more principled upon trying to achieve market competition in favor of like market equity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which has created this kind of market distortion in regards to the unequal distribution of wealth yeah but which I- is why you see more and more militia movements because the wealth isn't being distributed properly which means the citizens there are citizens in the united states that aren't benefiting the state serving its interests that kind of deal it's kind of confusing okay uh, yeah i totally understand that and i mean to a certainty i mean to a certain point it's correct at least in my point of view but i also would attribute that um to the institute to the po- to the to the power of the local institutions to be more specific uh not talking about like federal institutions but if you're thinking about yeah. your city your your city hall or your or your governor uh, the the local authorities that are over there i think these institutions have been seriously attacked uh in the past five years or six years or so uh, Yeah, and I would argue. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, sure. Uh, and and I think that this this they are weaker and weaker. And I mean, of course, the trigger comes from 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 international trade and from the downside of the economy. Uh, but I think if the institutions were more inclusive uh, and were willing to foment uh, economic social social economic develop locally uh, in terms of maybe incentivizing local productions breaking a little bit of the supply chain of the international supply chain in specific sectors it doesn't have to be something drastic or generalistic but uh, i think the local institutions could be playing a very important role in this sense yeah i agree i think in expanding upon that from the way i i kind of look at it from the macro view is that the power of local institutions is kind of determinant upon the positions and the decisions made in like the federal government mostly due to how money flows because local institutions are dependent upon the federal government for their budgets and for their investments and the amount of money they're able to spend on these kinds of programs as well as 
exchanging political favor. Oh yeah, definitely. all that kind of stuff. Where it's you'll be, you'll have political favor for maybe setting the budget for yeah, social programs lower for of something. Course, of course, more poli- their so their, their administration of, is very poor indeed. Yeah, I mean, it's whereas a, if at the macro level, if like the position and the agenda were to be set that we're going to increase spending on for local institution funding on school programs or training programs or job development or that kind of stuff yeah 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 yeah, whereas i think currently that's not prioritized and therefore our local institutions aren't don't have the power to take up those functions Mm -hmm. no no totally uh it's a chain of sections you know i mean everything starts at the top and there's lots of levels and yeah i mean of course it's a very sided problem we could discuss about different perspectives on this forever uh and all of them will surely tie together eventually uh yeah but uh you know what tell me uh, do you see any big difference uh when you're talking about the origins of the militias uh, in Brazil uh, and in the US? Uh, it depends on how specific you want to be. Uh, do you see a clientelistic relationship uh, as we have here? I do not think uh, it is as much a, that kind of relationship as it is in the United States. I think in the United States, it's more... Between the in the United States, the militia movement, I would say, was not so much explicitly clientele as clientelistic. Okay. I'm not a wordographer, but that's the word I will use. A clientelistic relationship as it was more militias rising in response to the changes in traditional social systems within the United States, mm-hmm. such as family, education, religion, and these institutions, which were under quote-unquote threatened or changed as a result of globalization and So those forces coming together. So would you say these groups are more related to value, uh, to moral values than 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 the business, than the economic side of it? Yes, I well perceived moral values. I I would say moral values are very subjective. And well said. Ones, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't want to <laughs> go that far, but. Their perceived moral values, which as yeah. the, the traditional, the, the conservative values of like the traditional yes, definition of family. Uh, I think this is very prevalent in the. It's very much a preservationist ideology. I guess that's kind of a linking mm-hmm. factor within different groups because mm-hmm. they want to. They want, like uh, Donald Trump says, want make America great again. Yeah. He wants it to go back to a time when America was more 
isolationist in its trade policy and foreign policy mm-hmm. and was not as influenced by global actors and cultures and the harmonization of institutions and things like that okay now now i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a very foreigner question uh as a foreigner nice. me uh could i if if i would could i mean if i wanted to tell this to my mom to my grandmother or whatever uh could i say that the militia groups in the us are what is left of uh trumpist movement in the us i mean these are trumpist uh, trump supporters uh the more conservative wing at least no i would no i don't think they are the they've existed long before trump ever rose to power Okay. Okay. So they're not a result of Donald Trump or his policies or anything like that. Rather, I would say Donald Trump happened as a result partially I I, I don't want to like say re- this because of that, but the rise in militia movements kind of played a factor into the election of Donald yeah. Trump more so than Donald Trump affecting the rise of like Trump was an outcome of this movement and at the same time he was a trigger for making it bigger. Yes, I would say this like in terms of like the more modern rise in militia groups started in the early 90s was when these became known nationally as a problem like mm-hmm. it really became an issue within you know the public contact like mm-hmm. people were aware that groups exist they are take they are enacting violence within the United States and against the government in some cases and they were very publicized and this was in the 90s which was far away much before Donald Trump was ever even considering running for presidency which is why i think most of the researchers and the people that look at this stuff kind of have made these ties to globalization since in the 90s this was actually when the united states was at its quote unquote economic peak i guess in yeah. terms of like yeah, economic could... influence globally yeah yeah and that is kind of when you also saw this correlated rise in domestic militia like violence. Okay. Got it. Uh now let's let's maybe talk a little bit about the the perceived moral values as we talked. So uh to the best of my knowledge, uh, what do I know of the 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 this conservative movement in US considering like 20th 20th century history uh, alone. Uh we could be talking about uh the traditional family which includes um race sexual orientation um and feminism the posi- the position of women in society yeah. uh I would yep women's rights another one right uh women's rights I know all the all the classics classics right uh what else uh apart than that that could be included in in because we have we, we covered racism we covered discrimination against women we covered discrimination against um uh, different uh, uh sexual orientations 
division of labor and capital, I guess, as well. Division of labor and capital. And maybe uh, another one that, that we could uh, say here, the position uh, of men in society. I mean, what is the role related to the position of women, right? Exactly. I mean, what is the role of what is the role of the modern man? Because if women are working, if women are out, if women are empowered, what is the role of the modern man for the conservative? I think, yes, I think this is yes. a great question. I think it also relates to the economic ties, because if more women are working, it can be perceived that there are less jobs for men. Yep. And those people that feel like they have their jobs taken away by a woman might blame the state for that, for supporting policies that kind of promote gender inclusion, for example. And diversity as well, right? Uh, yeah, and diversity and all. There, all of this. There's the modern issue, which is immigration um, and the whole global supply chain that came with the global production of, of, of trade, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and, and, I mean, of course, most of, of, of the nations are importing uh, more than ever. Uh, yeah. And China has a big role on that. Uh, there's the whole uh, issue in Detroit and, and in the industrial belt in the US, uh, where many factories. Oh, but the, are... G- the, GDP, the GDP is growing, though. So... Oh, they're growing now. This is kind of... oh, I mean, I guess the economy is always growing. It just depends on how much the people really argue over it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I get. But in answering this question, I think this ties back to where I see militias rising as a result of failures of the state, because at, even though the U.S. economy is growing, mm-hmm. those ga- the what, the gains that they are making that's resulting of that growth are not being distributed equitably. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Which means you'll have more people feel like they are not benefiting from yeah. all of this economic growth and prosperity. Exactly. And at the same time, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a true thing. I mean, I think these men um, are being outsourced by the state. I mean, the state is failing on them if we're focusing on specific on the men. Yeah, because I would argue that yeah. You would probably have less people feeling like the, it's a, the state has failed me or like political institutions are not serving my interests if they actually were by, you know, taking some of these gains from trade and channeling it into more investments for local institutions and government things and like programs and social development and education yeah, and training exactly. and... which which in, in most of the times benefit uh, those underprivileged groups those groups who have been underprivileged for ever women yeah. um lgbti community um black people all this un- uh, unprivileged groups that have been um i missed the word now uh, that i mean that weren't um took uh, that the state didn't take care of that's that's what i was trying to say that the state didn't take care of um 
I mean, they're now receiving kind of a special attention uh, from the media, from the public power, from society, which in my perspective, at least, is more than fair. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not talking about that. I think that is necessary, should go on. That's not a point. But for those who have experienced a recent prejudice in this sense, especially, you know, white, uh, older men, uh, they feel that the state now is not taking care of, 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 of them as, as it used to be. Uh, and instead, they are giving their privilege away to these minority groups, which makes them feel like mad and, 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 and like, in my opinion, yeah. com confound everything. Because, uh, well, anyway. Uh, but that's but that's but that's kind of how I see that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's there's a lot to that. I I, I guess it's I'm trying to think of an analogy of like like it's so stupid how stupid the whole thing is. It's like white men have had like they get the ball at the playground. Yeah. They're the only one with the ball, but for ever since they've been in school they've been told this is how an equal society looks like mm -hmm. and then someone else gets a ball say, after no. they've been told only one person having the ball is what equality means yeah then you have that i think that's kind of how i would think about it yeah Yeah, simple it to make it a bit simpler because it's so. It, I think the whole thing is so stupid. Uh, I couldn't no agree more. Uh, it's it's it, it's just stupid. Uh, and and if you think about it, the more I think about it, the more I think this is something that will pass. Because I don't think it will. I do. Uh, I think these are problems that humans and society have dealt with since we formed societies uh but, i mean but th th think about it with me i i don't think I, i i don't think that this duality will end i think this issue will be overcome uh in which sense? the issue of like white supremacy yeah uh why Why do I feel that? Yeah, well, why? I, I would like to hear some optimism because I'm not very optimistic. <laughs> I, I am an optimistic person, so I mean, you have to consider that in my opinion as well. Uh, what do I feel is that society have been progressing over the past two, maybe three centuries like we have never done before. Um, and the duality between progressism and conservatism have been going on forever. And I'm not saying this will stop, no. But the discussion, the disagreement between the two sides have been changing uh, in, in th throughout time. Uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, for example, women couldn't vote. And today, I mean, even to think about this possibility is, is absurd. Women, now we're talking about women uh, having an equal parenting responsibility to responsibility with their fathers now we're talking about uh, how many hours do you work a week so you can have a balance so people can have uh, like quality of life so women can have a career 
which is something that you would never think in the 50s, which is like 60 years ago. This is not too much time. So the issue have been progressing in baby steps. Yes, but it has been progressing. I've, I've seen some evolution in the discussion. And I do believe that in 50 years, uh, this issue will be overcome. This will be a right for these people. This will be a guarantee. And the conservatives will be, be, will be complaining about something else. You know, they will be trying to keep a different aspect of uh, moral, uh, the, the, the perceived moral values alive, uh, which is good in certain ways because you don't want everything to change. I mean, we don't live in like, a total disgrace. Uh, we like some basis of the society, but other things need change. So I think the duality is healthy in itself as long as the issue, the disagreement points are evolving. Uh, well, at least that's my perspective. I don't know how you feel about that. I, uh, I think it's a tough cookie to crack. <laughs> and I think we've been trying to crack the cookie. I mean, and they told us that we had equal rights uh, in the 60s, and we clearly don't. We clearly don't. I don't know. I, I think we... It's just... I don't know why it's like this like it seems like we make progress and then we don't i don't know what the, why that is partially i think it's i don't i don't know why uh, yeah it's no one does i guess because we would have solved it then but maybe maybe we could talk this on a on, on another chapter i mean uh, why maybe in a few weeks we need a fun a fun a fun one for the next pod but yeah I mean, why we cannot develop in a fast pace you know why we can just like go uh, i don't know i mean and we why? keep experiencing pushback throughout history and why things don't go but whatever let's let's come back because i have a, another question uh like will lead us to to the end um how do you see the future of these militia groups in 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 the u.s you ask a lot of hard questions, Rodrigo. Are you some kind of podcaster? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, uh. where do I see the future of this? Uh, messy. I've never, I, I mean, I'm pessimistic. Slow. Slow moving. I don't know. I don't know how social media will influence how, how these things happen. Humans are weird. Yeah. Nothing's predictable. Uh, but uh, let, let's narrow down the question then. Do you see uh, these militias groups having a big influence over the uh, electoral process? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question as well. Depends, I guess. I would say, as of recently, these groups have been gaining more and more legitimacy through traditional political institutions and getting their people elected, I guess. I mean, nothing's been concretely... Well, I guess they have, because you have, like, Senator... Or is it Congressman Marjorie Green, who's openly affiliated with the QAnon conspiracy... Oh, I heard that. I heard that, group. yeah. 
so we have been seeing more things like this and more far-right GOP members and conservative politicians adopt similar rhetoric, similar positions. But I don't know. I, I think it'll be decades until any explicit links are probably identified. Mm-hmm. But yes, I would in, in this way, I do think they are gaining more legitimacy through the state. How long that lasts, I guess, is another question. I think if things go well in the United States and people are happy, I think these people, these groups will become smaller and smaller and less heard of. And I think whatever they're talking about will become more and more restricted to certain platforms that they find they can aren't being censored or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably see further polarization of their ideologies and positioning. So you might have smaller groups, but they become much more violent. Yeah. I guess because they become more and more, the smaller the group, the bigger the echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree on that. Agree on that. I do see the same trend. Um, I think that they're going to become smaller, but more preeminent uh, until it vanishes. That's that's my view. Yeah. That's, I think it's, it's not a thing. I think we will overcome this challenge. Um, I think the answer is kind of simple and kind of why I'm a bit pessimistic on hmm. the, the problem getting solved. In, in, in the near future is it would require our politicians to exercise foresight and consideration on the impacts of any policies that they introduce objective upon yeah. solving any market distortions or things like that because yeah. for every failure to redistribute any economic gains from globalization will be a reason for another person to find acceptance into one of these groups. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to give you my my point of view on this and then I, I if if it's possible I'd like to to tell you a little bit more about Rio in the sense I would like to to give to to put this out in the internet for the English listeners uh, English speaking listeners Uh, Well, but let's get back to your point now. I think uh, I agree with you in the sense that I don't expect this this new positioning from the state. I don't see them like concerning about the impact of policies like they should. I don't see like their (laughs) the whole thing. That's why I'm like why I'm pessimistic. (laughs) No, I mean I, I I totally agree with you on that. I mean no. Not gonna happen. What? But on the other hand, what I see is the demand for this kind of behavior raising uh, more and more. I think yeah. in the digital era, people have more access to information than ever, uh, and I think people are starting to realize, are starting to act, for the first time, maybe learn what is the role of the government, what is the role of these people that are called. Uh, our leaders, you know, why, what they should be doing over there. 
And I think people are maybe starting to understand, uh, to have a deeper understanding of the impacts of the policies, how and what they should be demanding from their from 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 the statement. Um, and and I think maybe if we're going to have a change in this sense, this will come from the people via democracy. That's why democracy is so important, and that's why we need the institutions to work properly because without that if we don't have democracy i mean the people don't have the power to demand anything and no progress no developing no more egalitarian society uh I, yeah i feel like it's like a chicken and egg type deal like which mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is gonna break first like totally <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see how it folds, how it plays out. I think it'll be very slow, very yeah. boring to watch. But Viking <laughs> <laughs> paints, right? But yeah. Uh, and I mean, I asked you about the future of the militia groups in America, um, in the United States. Sorry, this is my Latin. Uh, my Latin persona doesn't let me to 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 speak America. Um, but what I wanted to say about Rio, because I asked you about the future of the militia groups in America, in the US, and you told me that, uh, you told me that, I mean, you see, you see a shrinking trend with, uh, like a more prominent presence. So less quantity, more voice, more, more influence, probably. Uh, not influence, I, not I mean, influence, I think... but more, you know, noise. Let's call it like that. Let's yes, that. noise. I don't know. It, kind of like how you've seen with the how ter- the, I guess in the Middle East, I guess like how the terrorist movements have progressed over the last two decades. Yeah, where they their membership has declined, but the in intensity i guess of of what of their actions have certainly increased mm-hmm. yeah in response to that in response to that yeah but what i wanted to say is like about the future of this motion groups in brazil because we have a big big change of uh, there's a disruption of the scenario after 2008 yeah what's going to happen down there so what happened as I mentioned, the city of Rio started, uh, the modern city of Rio started to be built in the 50s and the 60s, which went where, where uh, when, sorry, uh, we had the first embryonary militia group. It was not even this term. Uh, militia is a, a modern definition for that. At the time, they, they were not considered militias, but it was the embryonary militia formation in Hildas Pedras. Later on in the 90s, we had this embryonary formation in, uh, if I'm not wrong, Santa Cruz, where uh, this 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 police uh, this parallel uh, police force started to uh, provide security services for public transport uh, public transportation, where people were like, doing illegal public transportation, uh, and this policeman would provide their security, do their security. Okay. What started to happen in the 2000s, in the early 2000s, as I mentioned, 
was that the policemen not uh, were not only providing security services anymore. Uh, they were providing natural gas. They were providing electricity. Uh, so they were like the state for those local communities, for those neighborhoods. And this started to become a business, a big business. Uh, yeah. So, and since it became a big business and it was strictly related to the elite neighborhoods in, in the city, uh, this, this, the leaders of these groups started to have influence over powerful men, meaning politicians. Uh, there is a big political movement in Hilda's in Hilda's Pedras. Hilda's Pedras is the community of our current president Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, a so interesting guy. His son, Flavio Bolsonaro, which is now a senator, uh, have throughout the century, since 2004, if I'm not wrong, he started to award militiamen from the policemen, from the police force over their services. You know, I mean, how, if you kill, depending on how many men did he, did they kill? I mean, they were all completely in pro of the violence because they see that as a war. They are in war against the poor, the black, uh, the drugged, the unprivileged people, because they are taking out their spaces. In in this sense, it's very similar to what we have in the US. We don't have you don't have the clientelistic relationship, the business side of it, but the reasons, the motives for the people who run this is very similar. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one of these guys that received an award from Flavio was what what, what is the award? Is it like a medal? Uh, it's a medal. I'm just curious. Yeah. It's a medal. It's like a, a little medal. You get a plaque and yeah, a little certificate, you know, hang on the fridge. <laughs> it's a medal. The money I am. Don't ask me the name of the medal. I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert on... Ceremonial uh, Brazilian sword. Thank you. That's it. That's what I'm not an expert. Something like that? Uh, and yeah. Just trying so, to learn a little bit more about the Brazilian customs, man. <laughs> But, dude, let me say this, because this is very important for international people to know about. What happened is, in 2008, they created uh, a, what we call CPI, Investigative uh, Parliamentary Commission, if I'm not wrong. Okay? So, this is a commission made by, politi made by politicians to investigate politicians. Okay. Politicians love commissions to investigate other politicians. Exactly. <laughs> nothing, nothing better than a good, a good commission, man. Exactly. So it gets me out of bed in the morning. In the CPI, as we call, uh, they found out about this militia, these militias, including this one awarded by the president's son in two thousand four or five. In two thousand seventeen. 18, forgive me, Brazilian listeners, I suck with dates. Um, we had a very sad episode in our history in which one of the left wings city councillors was murdered uh, in the city of Rio. Her and her driver, they were both murdered, uh, 
they were sh they were shot to death. Uh, daylight in the streets, and the guy who was awarded by Flavio in 2005-2004 was accused of being the murderer, the responsible for pulling the trigger against these people. A month, one year, I don't remember exactly. Again, I suck with dates. Some time later, uh, he was wanted. He ran away, hide, and he was wanted. The police found him. And there were like 70 men, 70 men surrounding the, the house where they found him. And uh, he was murdered in this case. So all the, secret, all the secrets about who hired him to murder Marielli, the one, uh, the city councilor who, who got murdered, who hired him. Um, what was going on in, in, in the president's son's cabinet? Because uh, he was also accused the, uh... of corruption in the cabinet of like uh, using public money to pay for ghosts, employees. Uh, what is the government, the government uh, like, uh, statement on, on that? Do they say anything? Or do they recognize it? Or is it, a, is it an accident? Or how do they explain uh, it? The the killing of this of the, of, of Adriano. How actually? Yeah. I mean, it was weird because he had no way out. It was kind of a suicidal operation from his side, from Adriano's side. He was surrounded, and he decided to attack. So he started to shoot against the policeman, and the policeman just strike back. Bottom line, <laughs> uh, I think we can, we can like, start concluding and about what we have yeah. so far. I think we can wrap it up. I think, I think we've made some progress. I think. Definitely, definitely. I've learned more. I think I understand militias a little bit more when looking at it through the lens of globalization and looking at it kind of as a as a chain from that starts from uh, the failure of the state to yeah non-state organizations taking up state functions and in the case of militias fails. yeah i think we can safely classify violence and military activity and in, in as one of those um functions of the state that gets taken up by these types of organizations definitely i think i learned that i think that was pretty pretty cool to learn i'd say learned a little bit about the old the how, how brazilian how, how 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 the economics i'm pausing <laughs> we're gonna mark that Pause for, for effect and and an editing break I was going to say, well, about the Brazil situation, I learned, one, there's a lot of similarities in terms mm -hmm. of the motive behind the rise of these kinds of groups. Yes. And I was interested in the differences in terms of how in the United States, where I'm from, it is much less of um, a clientelistic business-like relationship between uh -huh. citizens and 
and these groups whereas in the united states it's much more rooted in identity and cultural politics and things like this in the end of the day you could say that the similarities are in the reasons in the motives uh of these people as we as we discussed uh the differences could be defined by the efficiency of this of of both of the states because the american system the american state is like much more well established than the one we have here in brazil i mean you are a more developed country than we are uh in this sense i think it's only natural that our people are actually turning this into a business whereas your people were using more kind of the perceived traditional values uh instead yep. of the economic side of it because it's not it's not up to that point yet at least interestingly i would say it was the r- resultant economic changes that became how do i explain it it was the social the traditions and all of this and and the and the cultural things were negatively influenced by the united states becoming a more global economy uh, if that makes sense it it didn't could you could you try me again so in the sense that because the united states become more globally oriented in its economic activities okay it is perceived that that is the reason behind changes in traditional cultural identity type things probably a better way to say that but so you mean you... whereas in brazil that the the the, the the inefficiency of the states are directly seen in terms of like services provided by the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are okay, lacking. Okay, got it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Whereas in the United States it is the trends of globalization yeah. that is perceived yeah. by many militia groups to be yeah. the reason for negative changes in like the traditional social order and how yeah. it's more related to globalization supply chain production job creation yeah. whereas here more to the provision of public services yes that's perfect i think that's a great way to to <laughs> to, to, to put it because i was struggling i was really struggling to figure out how to put that into words and i really like that word because got the message man Got it. Glad we got those political economy degrees. <laughs> awesome.